0: This episode that you all are about to listen to here will most likely make you shed a tear, be inspirationally in, like inspired to a whole new level. I think I just made inspirationally inspired up. So that's how fire it was. And then also as well, it will give you perspective on second chances. And so this interview I did with Koss Marti, just to give you all context on his background, he at one point was making over $2 million a year as a a drug kingpin selling cocaine, which there's a lot of transferable skills there when it comes to business, which is gonna lead into my point. So he went to jail for about eight years. And when he was going into jail, he was overweight. And they told him that if he didn't get it together, that he could possibly die in jail if he didn't lose the weight. So basically, it's like you might die here. So obviously, that would shock anyone to figure out how can I not. So he started getting very serious about working out and his health and fitness, which a lot of people made fun of him for inside of jail. But he stayed consistent. He got other people to get fit while he was also getting fit. And he lost, I think it was over 60, maybe 70 pounds. And was able to overcome this disease that they told him that he had because he just simply just lost weight and took it seriously and after he did that he ended up going to the end of his sentence and he was like all right i'm out what do i do and so he started something called calm body which basically was the workouts that he did inside of jail to lose weight and make him strong and help other people who can come out of prison do the same thing which is have something of fitness, but also teach them on business skills as well, which is obviously build a business on calm body. And he's been featured in many different places across the board, such as I mean, NBC, CNN, New York Times. You'll you'll hear this intro again as I go into the podcast. But the reason I'm telling you all right now in this intro because this whole interview was so inspiring. Like I walked away being so fired up. And also like I personally almost shed a tear towards the end when he shared his darkest moment. So you have to listen to this entire podcast to hear the end and and how this journey all worked for cost. Because once I heard about his darkest moment where he was at the absolute bottom and how he gave himself a second chance to move forward and, and do the things he's doing now. I, I almost wanted to break down. Like I'm even getting emotional as I'm I'm like legit almost getting emotional as I'm talking about right now, because I was just like, wow, it's just so, just so impactful, just such a strong story. So I would encourage you all to listen to this one all the way through. It is about an hour. So I'd say strap in. I would do it up in different parts if you want to. But if, I mean, if you don't get inspired by this one, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I just, I, I, I can't help you. <laughs> like this one was just so great on so many levels and in the three things that we talked about where one, we talked about sleeping, how he got more serious about sleep, how when he didn't get enough sleep, he started to feel loopy. So he started getting more serious about it and how he did that inside of jail and then how that progressed towards his life. Uh, Number two, he talked about spending more time with family and how to manage that time with his family, how he has certain hours that he spends with quality times with his loved ones and how he spends certain amount of hours on work and how he doesn't let that work conflict with his quality time so that he can really build those relationships because obviously he was away for a while. So he's really focused on that and then three he talked about obviously working out so he talked about how he worked out seven days a week and then how he continuously moved down from there as he got stronger and got a better build and he could hyper focus on certain days and some days he actually could rest so i, I found that be fascinating to talk about his working out journey inside of jail and how it's progressed to now but there's so many other things that we talk about such as what are his top five artists <laughs> we talk about business advice we all incarceration system and how can it be better because obviously he was. Is in there so hopefully you all enjoy this podcast episode as much as i did and as i always say if you have any takeaways that you got from this podcast feel free to tag me at morgan j ingram and i, I can share that out with other people as well because we want to hear what your takeaways were from this podcast and we're looking forward to your feedback so enjoy this episode real quick I want to show some love to one of our sponsors, Lessonly, and my guy, Kyle Lacey over there. It's a powerful yet simple readiness and training software for high growth sales teams. And as we all know, it's a virtual environment. So it's really important to have the remote teams on the same page so they can deliver amazing experiences to the customers and prospects. And I love their motto, by the way, do better work. Check them out. They're helping major brands like HelloFresh, Goodwill, Birchbox, and Thrive Market do success. And a lot of their clients are saying that their software gives them a lot more confidence in the way that they onboard their new reps and their existing reps. That's massive. So if you're in the market for it, check them out. Easy to use, easy to adopt. It's lessonly.com. So it's L-E-S-S-O-N-L-Y.com. And you can also click the link in the show notes to get there as well. I'm really excited to have Koss here. Uh, shout out. He's from New York. Uh, always, always love visiting New York. So good to have a, a New York in here on the podcast. And as I went into all of that bio, um, I'll, I'll take a moment here to see anything that you want to add. Was that all accurate? Uh, tell the audience about it.
1: No, it's all accurate. I mean, it's a, it's a lot. Um uh, I feel like you told my whole story in like two seconds. So that, like, you told know, the better than me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, we gotta we gotta hype you up, man. I've been I've been looking forward to this one.
1: <laughs> uh, I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to be on here.
0: Absolutely. So we asked a couple questions before we get into the meat of what the podcast is. My first question is: You're from New York, and New York is. The centerpiece of a, where a lot of rap music came from. I'm from Atlanta, and we have a lot of rap music here too. So, so I I have to know who are your top five rap artists.
1: Uh, I mean, I would say like the tip, like Biggie, yep. Jay Z, you know, um, Big Pun for sure, uh, Tupac, um, just like a lot of old school, you know, nineties. And now, you know, I, I, you're ATL, but I love, I love Jeezy, especially, you know, <laughs> the, the trap or die beginning just was, that was like my prime years in, in, uh, dealing on the streets. And so that, that was like, all oh, like inspirational drug. <laughs> <motivational, you know? laughs> it really was. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, boosting your ego up that you're going to be like uh extra kingpin, you know what I mean? So that, that was, uh. I love Jeezy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Shout out, shout out to Jeezy, and it's crazy because I want to think of Jeezy. Obviously, the Gucci man beef, the Jeezy versus Gucci. That was that was something special to see here in Atlanta. But yeah, that when Trapper Dying came out, man, the <laughs> it was like we were bumping here in Atlanta when that came out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember just like rolling. A, I had twenty-two inch gold spinner rims. On a Fleetwood Cadillac 1993. Wow. Uh, Pearl white seats, a million TV screens in it. You know, like uh, I bought this car out of a dub magazine and like just bumping Jeezy and Gucci down like Times Square, just making mad noise. You know, you were (laughs) balling, (laughs) balling. Just bugging out. You know, (laughs) (laughs) being stupid.
0: Oh man, did you? So now I'm curious. Before we go to the next question, which is going to relate to that that kingpin piece that you just said, did you ever get a grill?
1: No, I didn't get a grill. I didn't get a grill. I just thought that shit would look so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you said the 20-inch rims. I was like, maybe he got
0: a grill too. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> nah, nah,
1: I didn't. I didn't go into that grill. I think that was like. I, there was people in New York that had it, but it was like more of a South thing, you know, Paul Wall type yep. of deal. Um, but yeah, I thought that looked ugly. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> completely fair. Completely fair. So one thing you mentioned is on the, the Kingpin side, you know, you obviously did a lot of g- successful things when it came to in the drug business. I mean, you. I think you grossed over like two million. I think at the age of like 19, which is insane right i don't even know what to do 2 million dollars in 19 right so business advice here what parallels are there between the cocaine business versus i mean and now right with Combody?
1: yeah i mean uh, everything is parallel you know marketing branding uh managing a team um the only thing you don't do is pay taxes to the government, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean you you, and then I I, I mean you got to watch your back more. You know that I guess that's the the only thing. You know you you're doing something real lucrative, so you got to hide. You know you can't. You know even though I was like being crazy on the street and just doing whatever, but I I had to be aware of like hey, when I had drugs, I couldn't be riding around in a fancy car. I had to yep. you know switch to the basic like lincoln town car or something you know what i mean like um but yeah a lot of parallels that so that that's interesting what would you say like are the top
0: three if you had a point to them?
1: i would a top three definitely managing a team um managing your books for sure um and then I, I think the just the quality, uh, you know, making sure you, you give uh, incredible quality. My my whole, when I when I came home from prison, I, I really thought about like, hey, all I have to do is like continue delivering a great product, great quality, and it's gonna pop no matter what. You know, cause yeah. I, I started selling drugs. I didn't start, you know, making millions of dollars a year. I was making, you know, 20, 30 bucks on a corner, you know, selling nicks of crack, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, not making much, you know what I mean? I sat on a milk crate, you know, making a hundred bucks. It was a, a great day, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm talking about like 98, you know, so doing that and then just growing from there, you know, it was, um, it was because I delivered a great product. I was showing up every single day. Everybody knew I was in that milk crate in front of the bodega yep. consistently. <laughs> And I knew with the fitness product, if I showed up on time, delivered a great product, you know, and did it time after time, it was going to pop, you know? And so that was my whole mentality behind it.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense is that it's consistency, right? The quality and the consistency, it sounds like that was the key there. And that makes a lot of sense. And the last question I'm going to ask you before we get into, into it is I was watching your TED Talk <clears throat> and you were talking about how you came out of prison and how that really changed your life and you know one of the things that you were talking about is the is the system itself so what could the incarceration system do better to set up individuals for success once they get out
1: i mean the transitional services is 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 ridiculous inside the system i I literally had uh, they they have like a transitional service program two months before you you your release, mm-hmm. and what they gave me was like a line paper and uh, a pencil and a ruler to draw like the top line of the middle of the page, so like really bold my name and create that as a resume to go find a job. You know, like, it's like nothing it's it's crazy it's it's like i'm you know this is what we did back in you know early 90s or mid 90s like you're gonna release somebody from prison with a sheet of paper and a, uh, you know written in a number two pencil you know handing it yeah. over to like a, a manager at the store you know i'm looking for a job here's my resume you know i'm gonna make copies of it like it's just it's crazy it's crazy and and that's the reality is like it's so outdated there's no technology in there mm-hmm. you know now they you know some some uh facilities have like tablets uh to write emails and communicate with people mm-hmm. uh and read books but yeah it, it, the, there's no internet you know there's you, you just lose it's just a whole different world you know
0: Anyway, but it sounds like is that since there basically is no no technology, there's no internet for the most part, there's no tablets, no anything, you're not getting any news, what it sounds like, and you're basically just prehistoric times. Yeah. And then you come back in the in the world and it's like, uh yeah, here's a paper to go try to figure it out. It's like there's no way I'm gonna be able to do anything with this.
1: Yeah, so getting I think you know what the system needs to create is like we have so many correctional officers, you know, in the system, it's, it's all about like punishing, punishing, punishing. Like I think training these correctional officers to actually be like people that actually care and want to transform people. Like when you go in there, it's like cops against the inmates, you know, like, you know, F the police, you know, like, it's just a uh, crazy and and if an officer like talks to an inmate and tries to be cool he's X by the other officers so he's wow. like X communicated by everybody you know in his team and so it's just like uh, it's a battle and I think it needs to be broken down you know from the top to the bottom and it's a it's a very old school mentality you know it's passed down by like people that have been 20 you know over 10 years in the in the correctional system um and it's it's and it and it sucks you know there are incidents that you know uh officers beat down the inmates inmates beat down the officers you know and there's altercations like that but most of the time like you know people want to go in there keep their head down you know read books and get out you know and get back home to their family but
0: yeah yeah i think you know when people think about it it's that earlier point you made is that like officers going at the inmates inmates causing a riot and I don't think most people think about like, hey, I'm just trying to get home back to my family, might have gotten caught up in something that most of been probably involved in, made a mistake, whatever that was. And, you know, now I'm just trying to educate myself so I can better myself when I come out. And there's just all this chaos. And you brought up an interesting point about the officers not liking the other officer if they were talking to the inmates. Did you see that in real time? And and then how did that all work out? Were they just kicked off the parole? Where they kicked off the correctional system? Like what had happened to those people?
1: Yeah. I mean, they weren't kicked out. They was just like shunned by like the other officers, you know, I remember there was one officer that was super cool, you know, all tatted up, used to talk to us, but he was just like a a lonely ranger, you know, just like, you know, said hi, bye, but never, and and it was just, and, and and the racism between the correctional officers is crazy. Like, you can't even, like when I tell people, they used to call us like niggas and spick, you know, excuse my language. Yep. That's what they call this, you know, in there, you know, that's, soon as we get off that Rikers Island bus, cause Rikers Island, it's, you know, it's the largest jail in, in, in New York city. But you, most of the correctional officers are people of color who, you know, live in the similar neighborhoods as us. But once you get off that bus and you go, you know, to upstate, in Redneckville, you know, and you get off that bus, they tell yep. you this is not fucking Rikers Island. You, they call you the N-word, S-word, you know, they, it's just crazy, bro, it's, it, and it's just unbelievable. And you can't do nothing. And, it, and, and I've seen people react, you know, as soon as you, cause I've been on that bus twice. I, yep. I went off twice. And um, same thing, same thing every time. You come out with shackles, you are tied up with somebody else
0: mm-hmm.
1: and somebody reacts and they go into the box and they get beat down, you know, and it's, it's just a sad reality. And, and, I, I, and I was talking to uh, uh, somebody at Vice um, and I'm, I'm part of this uh, nonprofit organization called Fortune Society. It's a big mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit in New York that's tackling criminal justice reform, but they want to bring body cams to those correctional officers because nobody's knowing what what's happening in there. You know, no. we know what happened to George Floyd and all these incidents because all these officers in the streets have body cams now or the public has cameras. But when you go in there, no one knows from the community, no one knows from the public what what really goes on, you know? And they get they get away with a lot of shit.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy, man. I mean it's really <clears throat> I mean, it really speaks to like where we're at in the world as a whole. Like people are starting to obviously wake up to what's happening in the George Floyd situation. No one would have known what's going on if someone wasn't filming or we weren't in the social digital age that we're in now. And because it sounds like there isn't technology in those jails, right, in those places, that's why these things aren't happening. So, I mean, hopefully that happens where they do have those body cams and the system starts to level up. and and move in a way where people could come out and and feel positive, which, you know, you came out and you had some success and you're continuously seeing success and this is what we want to go into. So what we always ask people when they come on the podcast are what are the three things that you do outside of your career and work that have helped you be successful in what you're
1: doing so far? I think um, sleeping you know? <laughs> okay. Because A lot of people think, you know, and, and I think this is a myth where, you know, work, 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 you know, and you have to be a 24 hour guy. And that's how it was when I was in the street, you know, but I make sure I get eight hours of sleep, you know, and I, I, I it makes me way more productive, you know? So I think I'm a big, you know, uh, supporter of sleep, like making sure I get those eight hours, you know, and, and, and just blocking that off. And like, after nine o'clock, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm like, I don't, I you know, I'm looking okay. at me sometimes. I go to sleep, you know, read, and that's it. You know what I mean? Um, spe- definitely spending time with, like, family mm-hmm. uh, is big. You know, my wife, um, my dog, and just, like, re-taking really that time out, you know, and, and escaping from, you know, my mind is racing because I have, like, like we, we, you know, before I starting a podcast, I told you I'm like back to back, back to back, back. And <laughs> yep. My life for like that last like eight years or so, you know, since I've been home, and I just been really, you know, after doing that for so long, making sure like at a certain point I'm dedicating a certain time to the family and that, you know, so time management. Um, and this is part of my my work, but you know, working out, you know, I. I feel so much relief. I, I take my my other trainers' classes. You know, when I do a workout, I'm like, damn, I, I feel so accomplished when I do something. Uh, you know, and and get my day started with just working out. And and I'm not, I'm not, I'm a big workout component person, but I'm right now like I'm not a person that's been working out seven days a week like I used to do it when I was incarcerated or mm-hmm. you know, when I came home, I was just like work working out every I was working out three three hours a day like I was going hard. Um, but, yeah, when I do do it like four or five times a week, you know, I just feel so much accomplished. And I want to do it every day. But I'm getting there.
0: Oh, well, man, we got a lot to unpack here. So sleep, spending time with the family, which is like the time management piece, and then working out. I want to start off with working out first <clears throat> because this is what – your whole main part of your main story is about how you started working out because the doctors were like, hey, you got You got to get together here. And the theme of this whole entire episode is how to give yourself a second chance and, and second chances because of, of what you've done so far. So my, my question to you on this one is how did it feel when the doctor told you, hey, like if you don't get this together, this could affect you and, and possibly kill you. Like how, how did that moment feel?
1: I I was confused. I was <laughs> shocked because I was uh 23 years old. Yeah, you know, I went in there and I'm like, Nah, I'm not gonna die. You crazy? Like I'm. Like, oh, <laughs> you I'm liar. Gonna die. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I just didn't believe. Yep. You know, and and I mean, they have my test results. They have like <laughs> you know my blood work that they took. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you just don't. Uh, for me, I didn't trust the system, and I was confused. I know like uh, as a kid, I was pretty active playing sports. But when I got involved in the streets and just got my head, you know, in, in that world, like I was sitting in a car just on drugs, smoking, drinking and didn't realize I got so big. You know, I, I got pretty overweight and um, and I knew I was slow. I couldn't run. I couldn't, you know, play sports like that anymore. Um, so I knew I had a, a you know, Work on myself, but I was shocked when they told me, Hey, we're gonna place you on medication. And and um, and I was confused. And that's how that's how I felt. And and how
0: quickly did you make the transition to be like, I need to go start working out, or did you have some
1: reluctance to start doing it at first? No, I went, I went back to myself and mm. started contemplating and moving. <laughs> 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 you, you there yeah. by you know, I was there by myself, and I'm like you know what? Let me just knock out. Let me try to knock out a few push-ups. You know, I, I was trying to do dips. I did a couple mm-hmm. jacks, you know, and and started moving. Yeah. And I think in like five minutes, I was just like, "This is too hard. I'm not doing this shit." <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a reason why I did this in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And I just laid back on my bed, and um, I remember just contemplating uh, the next morning, and then they called the wreck and. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go to the yard. And I went out to the yard. And I remember just trying to run. I was running from one pole to the other, then walking. And, and the 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 whole yard is the size of like a track and field racetrack, you know. Okay. And um, and I was just like maybe running like 50 meters and then walking, 50 meters and then walking. And then I just started progressing. And then I try, you know, the most embarrassing thing in prison (laughs) as a, as a big guy, you know, I was, I was trying to do a pull-up and, um, and in prison, you know, there's, they have the pull-up bar in the yard and you have a line of like 20, 30 inmates, you know, and you're going back to back. Like you, you know, as soon as you, you do your pull-ups, you're doing dips and then push-ups and we call it around the world. And so, I'm like standing on a line, I'm nervous, you know, I really want to try to do a pull up, I'm like, you know, and I try to get up there and I was like, he's struggling. I just, I just held the bar and then I was like, yo, can you push, push me up? And and I just hear the other inmates just like making fun of me, calling me Honey Bun, Fat his Gump and all this shit. And, and, uh, and I just, I was like, fuck it. You know, you guys could make fun of me, but I just kept moving, you know, and kept doing it. You know, and I did it for myself.
0: And, and where, does, where did that mentality come from of just like, screw it, I'm going to keep going, even though maybe everyone was making fun of you? Because most people probably would have quit there, right? <laughs> I'm like, yo, I'm getting roasted. I can't even do, I can't even do this pull-up right now. Like, what? So like, how did you move forward on that?
1: I just, I, I think I always had that determined mind that I was just going to keep going. It was going to stop me. And, and then I always had in my mind, like, you guys don't know me. You guys don't know me from a hole in the wall you know yep. I was locked up with a, a couple people that you know were from my neighborhood um, they knew me from making money in the street and all that stuff um, but they never really know me you know and and I just at the end of the day I'm doing this for myself, you know, not for you and that that was my mind
0: yeah, no I mean that's that's a super strong point and just the mentality of like, hey, look, this is what I have to do to To get better this is what i need to do to move forward so in that when you sat in the cell by yourself and you were like all right i just got this news i'm shocked how did you give yourself the second chance of like i can get past this and i can start working out and figuring out whatever this is to make myself more healthy so i can get out of here and and be alive after this whole thing. Like, how did you give yourself that second chance, even though you were sitting there like, oh man, I'm shocked right now. I know what's going on.
1: Well, I, I think I was uh shocked when I was sitting on the other side of the physician's like yep. desk and they told me this news. And and as I was, I was like, Well, so I went down to the medical unit. I remember it was like uh this guy was might have been like sixty-five years old, seventy years old, you know. And they gave him the same diagnosis as I did, I got. You know, and mm. and, uh, and as I was like walking back to from the medical unit with him, he was telling me they told him the same thing. I was like, damn, I'm being compared to like this dude, you know, who's like 70 years old, you know, and I was like, yo, I need a, I like, it just quick, quickly, and that's what they recommended me to do was just like, hey, you know, we recommend working out, we recommend, you know, eating better. And, it, and obviously in prison, you don't get the best food. So I was like, they placed me on this diet, basically, you know, from like four slices of bread, they give you one slice of bread, you know, and that's about it. Like they just cut you, your yeah, more. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I, I, gave it too much thought, you know, except for when I was walking back with him, and I went back and I was like, I, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start moving, you know, and and that was it. And it would just, it just clicked.
0: No, I, I like that. That makes sense. And then you said you got to seven days a week. So, what did those exercises look like? What were you doing? And obviously, you took those same exercises, and now they're part of the programs that you do now. So, curious to hear from that, from that perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of exercises uh, that we we usually start off. Well, when I was working out in there, it was like jumping jacks, plank jacks, you know, mm-hmm. squats, a lot of burpees, you know, a lot of push ups, flooded kicks. Uh, a lot of ab work, you know, uh, bicycles, you know, there's just so many I can name. I have a book uh, that, I, that that came out in 2018 that has like all the exercises that I came, the whole routine that I wrote out. What's, the, what's the book called? Con Body. Con Body, cool. Y'all go check that out, Con Body. Uh, it's available on Amazon, so you can check it out on, on my website if you want to give me more money than. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, um, I mean, I, I did all that, and, and I, I came up with the routine uh, while I was in solitary confinement. As I was doing all these exercises and doing it with other inmates, we were doing like 1,200 push ups a day. You know, and obviously, like a, a normal person coming home or a normal person from the street is not doing twenty, twelve hundred 1200 pushups a day. You know, that's and, crazy. Yeah. We, and we were breaking them down. We were doing like 21 down, 21 up, 21 down, 21 up, you know. And, and basically what that mean, meant was like, I'm doing 21 pushups. This person's doing 21 pushups, 20 pushups, 20 pushups, and we're going back to back, you know. And I, I built this camaraderie with within the other inmates. you know, I helped over 20 inmates who's over a thousand pounds combined, so we were like forming a circle around me in the beginning, and then other guys were getting in in the middle and like taking control and doing like cherry pickers and doing other exercises that I learned from them, you know and and uh, just kept doing it and going back to myself. So the three hours was uh, I was running for two hours. Uh, mm-hmm. I would run for two hours a day. I was running like a half marathon every day. Uh, and then I was going back to my cell and doing about an hour of working out.
0: Wow, so you were, you were doing a, what? Four to five hours of working out probably a day?
1: Uh, three three hours. Three hours? Yeah. So I'm running for like two hours. Cause you got, so we had uh, four hours of rec time a day. So you got two hours in the morning. Got it. Two hours in the evening. Uh, and then you're going back to your unit.
0: And then any the people that end up joining you were some of those people that were making fun of you in the beginning.
1: Nah, nah. Uh (laughs) (laughs) maybe. I don't I don't know. Maybe. Um, but yeah, no, it was mostly so. I got, yeah, I remember it was this one guy, and he was my first like person that started like catching an eye on me and like running, and his name was Bus. He was like five, nine, 320 pounds. He was like in definitely worse shape than me. Probably had some medical issues, everything. But uh, he came up to me after I was running and he was like, yo, I want to start running with you. And I started running with him. And then he started bringing like two of his other friends and we just Got started it. running together and, and working out and forming a circle in the yard and doing all these types of calisthenic workouts.
0: No, that's cool, man. I mean, that, that's good stuff. I mean, it's, so it sounds like, you know, for anyone listening in, if you're like, I want to start working out, I don't know what to do. I mean, first and foremost, you just go and start doing it just like Koss talked about, but also as well, like go find other people that maybe are willing to do it with you, right? And, and start moving in that direction, which led to you working out and, you know, it's led to what you're doing today. So I think that's really awesome on the working outside. So obviously after you've been working out, sleep is a factor too, right? Because if you're working out and you're getting three hours of sleep, like (laughs) it's probably not going to work. So did you start the sleep routine when you were in jail? Did you start it when you come out? And then you said that you don't use your phone after nine o'clock. How do you prevent that? Are you putting your phone in another room? Talk to us a little bit about the sleep routine.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I started while I was incarcerated. So when I was in the street, I was staying up for like three days at a time that's I, wild <laughs> I, was, I was like because my so the business didn't stop we had a 24-hour cocaine mm. delivery service it was it blew up i had over 20 hour 20 different drivers around the tri-state area and like and the phones and dispatch it was just like a constant service that was just non-stop and i was like deeply involved in everything and um and so I didn't get any rest my, my mind was like you know I forgot who said it in, in a rap lyric like you, you know you, you rest when you die. I think Nan said it. Um, but yeah um, that was my mentality. And then when I went into prison like you get lights out you did know yeah I mean you, you have you know you have a little lamp. You know, you could, you could buy off a commissary and you could stay up reading, but, um, I just knocked out, you know, and I was so tired from like moving and working out that it just became a routine. And, uh, and my mentality, uh, when I came home, I was just way more productive. You know, I was, I I tried to like stay up and like, uh, I was like, I took this like MBA course, um, from this nonprofit organization called the five ventures. They, they help people coming out of prison, uh, learn like all the business acumen. They believe that illegal entrepreneurs could become legal entrepreneurs. So I went through that whole program Um, and it was a lot of work. It was like 25, 25 hours a week. Plus I was like trying to start the business, you know, doing side jobs here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was staying up doing homework to like one, two in the morning, but I was showing up to like the class, like, dad and the, the instructors like talking and the shits all going over my head but when i really got yeah. some sleep, i really could pay attention and participate in class you know what i mean so just seeing that you know made me definitely way more productive and aware of like rest is is key you know and, and especially with fitness like the only way your body's gonna grow is if you rest it you know and a lot of people yeah. think like you have to overwork out you know to see more results You actually see more results when you rest your body you know that's how your muscles grow
0: i know i know getting an interruption in the middle of the episode and having an ad pop up in the middle of a great point is the worst however i want to show some love to my organization and sponsor jb sales and as many of you know i started out giving out sales content on a YouTube channel and podcast called the SR Chronicles. And I created the one up formula to figure out different concepts. However, on a day to day basis, I'm still talking about sales and I am a business professional that happens to give out sales techniques and a sales trainer over at JB Sales, And we train reps for leading companies like Slack, Google, MindBody, Salesforce, and many fast growing companies like that. And what some of you may not know, hot tip, is that you can access our content for yourself with our new on-demand platform. So people are constantly asking me for my sales tips and constantly asking questions from multiple platforms like on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. And everything that I talk about is inside of the on-demand platform. And we're seeing crazy results from people all across the board. And people are DMing, telling me, hey, we're, we're scheduling 20x more meetings, 2x on our cold call conversions, and using video prospecting to schedule net new meetings into accounts they never were able to. So, if you're interested in this, on these incredible results that we're seeing, feel free to check us out. And if you're in sales and if you're looking to up your sales game, this is for you. So, check us out, JB Sales on Demand over at ondemand.jbarrels.com. That's ondemand, J B A R R O W S.com. And per usual, I'll put the link in the show notes. All right, let's get back in the episode. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. We had someone else on the podcast as well, uh, and she talked about how important sleep was to her. She Gauges it by like REM sleep and things of that nature so it's, it's pretty interesting but yeah I 100% agree getting the sleep is going to help you recover help you really focus in on the things that you need to do when it when it comes to that piece and even going further in into sleep how how do you feel today or in any day across the board when you don't get that sleep let's say you only get like five hours you notice like you're cranky you're off like what happens there
1: yeah, I'm not. I'm just not focused. I'm loopy. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not motivated, mm. uh, but I haven't like really had that experience in a while. You know, I, I think I was having that experience when I was like on a plane pre-pandemic. I was just like traveling so much. You know, yep. 2019, I took over 100 flights. Um, so it was it was crazy to. And then the time zones were just. Times of the worst. The red eyes. <laughs> I was like living in LA, you know, and New York, going back and forth, and so it's just crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, nowadays, like with the pandemic, I make sure like I'm focused, and and then with the, the after nine o'clock, I just like like put my phone on the charger and I'll like set it, you know, in, in my bedroom in the nightstand, and then I'm just sitting in the living room, so it's not even around me, you know, like yeah. I'm not even paying attention or focusing on none of that, you know. So what made
0: you pick nine o'clock? Is it because you're going to bed early?
1: Yeah, I'm going to bed early. I, I'm like getting up uh usually like six in the morning. Um, so and I'm I'm sleeping by like nine, thirty, ten o'clock. You know, you're out. I'm <laughs> out. I'm out and, and like no nothing could wake me up. I'm like a person that you know they could be like Bombs going off, and I'm going to go sleep. sleep.
0: (laughs) I think I think that's that's a great routine. I think for everyone listening in, like if you're struggling with sleep, it's putting that putting the phone away, turn maybe turn off the TV, go and do something else, right, so that you're not feeling distracted. So I think that's a really big point there on on the sleep, and I think everyone can really start diving into that. And one thing you talked about was the pandemic, and I'm I'm assuming that. Due to the pandemic, you were able to spend more time with your family, and you talked about time management. So, how has your time management changed during the pandemic? What are some best practices you can share with some people that are entrepreneurs or high achievers?
1: So, a lot of a lot during the pandemic, a lot of people are like, "This this feels like lockdown prison." But I'm like, "Yo, you guys have no idea." He's like, "It's like it's yeah. like not even close." Yeah. But that then there is similarities, you know what I mean. A lot of people that had no idea what to do, you know what I mean. Yep. So I was I was in solitary confinement for for a while. You know, I did eight months in the box, um, off and on, um, and and being in twenty four hour lockdown, you really don't have no entertainment, you know. So comparing it to what we had to go through, you know, we had no devices, we had no TV. It's just basically like you and your thoughts and. You know sometimes you get a, a a book you know so um i would I would come up with my own routine, you know and like um in in solitary confinement, I would wake up, work out, uh take a bird bath um, and have everything in order so I could take up that time, you know uh, because if you stay looking at a wall, you yep. know that's when you start really bugging out. You know, and that's when you start really, you know, diving deep in your thoughts. Uh, and so, I really had everything time managed, you know, while I was in solitary, and writing, and reading, and you know, working out, and all that stuff. And and I kept that same time management and routine, um, you know, moving forward. Um, and that's and and that's very important with me, like you know, making sure I, I take out that time to dedicate, you know, to my family at a certain time, you know, make up uh, and there, there is times, you know what I mean? Like there's an event that happens like once a month that I have to, you know, go work a little bit overtime, but for the most part, just keeping that same routine, you know, and staying focused for sure. Um, I don't know. I I love spending time like uh, with my, my wife, um, you know, and I just I don't know. It, it, we grew stronger in in uh, the pandemic. You know, most people grew apart. Like, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, I, I guess people saw real real colors in the relationships. I, I, you know, for us, it was like we couldn't we couldn't be apart.
0: I mean, that's a beautiful thing that you were able to get more together, and and it, that is what has happened, right? Some people are like, "Yo, I don't really like you. <laughs> <laughs> like, why? I don't know why we were together and." right and some people are like no we actually got stronger through it which is great to hear and so you mentioned a lot of things on how you did the time management like where did you put it did you write it down did you put it in a calendar like what happened there
1: yeah so um First, when I came home, uh, my like time management—I had like a big calendar, like I would have,
0: <laughs> like how how so, like a whiteboard,
1: like no, you know how the you know people used to have on the desks, like the big calendars that you rip off month to month. <laughs> yes, yes. And squares were like the size of these like boxes right here, and so yep. I would because I, I had so my mentality was so like stuck before you know. Uh, my, I was, like, stuck in, like, 2008. I went in, like, to the beginning of 2009, so I missed, yep. like, Obama uh, terms. Uh, and so I was stuck when I had a flip phone, you know? So I thought this is how... That's so wild. I ...managed my calendar, <laughs> you know? I had to, like, write it down, and I had no idea what a calendar invite was. I had no idea, like, all this technology. There was Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, like... I was, I was. <laughs> can we, can we, can,
0: can we talk about that for a minute? So, you, you come out. So, what are the five things I'm just intrigued now that you were like, what the heck is this when you came out of jail?
1: So, a, a touchscreen phone was surprising, you know, and, and, uh, I thought it was like an iPod because I, when I, before I got locked up, like, mm. I remember seeing the iPod. Uh, out And it was like the first one, you know, that you had yep. iPhones in there. And, and this is like right before I got locked up. And, um, and I was like, "Damn, that's dope. And, um, and I came home and I just started seeing people like with the headphones, you know, talking. And it was just like very confusing. And I was like, oh shit, now it's a phone. So I, and I started seeing commercials and stuff like that. And I'm like, how to quickly adapt to that, um, I don't know. Uh, I I, I was like confused with like, I don't know, for me, things that got me weirded out, you know, going into the transit system, going to like, you know, the subway system when I would go down there, you know, back in the day you were yeah. kicked to a girl when you call her eye in the train and you go up to her, you know, you yeah. start talking to her. And, uh, and that's how it was. And now when I went, you know, to the subway station and I came home, everybody's looking at their phone and nobody's looking up. Mm. So it was just a weird feeling. And I remember getting dizzy, you know, like just like being the only one just looking up, you know, and not be, I don't know. It was just weird. It was weird for me. Um, payphones. Like I remember when I, the first day I was released, I was released, uh, uh, I was released in the Buffalo area, which is like eight hours away from New York on a, Mm -hmm. a, our, uh, one hour flight. And so I, I took, I went on a Buffalo international airport, airport over there, and I I couldn't find a phone, you know, to make a phone call. And, uh, I was looking for a payphone and, there's nothing to be found because payphones went out of business. And so I'm like yeah. asking people for phones, you know, and it's just weird. Um, I don't know. I I, I got to think about it, you know, but there's, there was a lot of, there was a lot of changes, new buildings, uh, a lot of women wearing yoga pants now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that became my target market. you know. Like your target market, though. Yeah, like my whole neighborhood changed, you know, it got really super gentrified. Um, yeah. So everybody talks about like Williamsburg being gentrified and that's like the Mecca of, you know, the hipsters and all that stuff. But yep. Lower East Side was the first neighborhood. And so we're, we're right next to Williamsburg. We're across the bridge. Um, So when Lori's side started getting more expensive, all the the hipsters started moving to Williamsburg and that started getting gentrified. And now it's like Bushwick, Best Eye and, and, you know, everything just started expanding. But just seeing the gentrification over here was crazy. You know, Um, my my whole building was, uh, I would say, like 95 percent Dominican. (laughs) <laughs> um you know it was like two puerto rican families one mexican family but like primarily hispanic um and when i came home it was like 50 percent you know and now there's uh like six apartments that are hispanic out of the the 30 you know and everybody's just like white from like ohio you know oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> that's crazy it's, it's crazy it's crazy uh, a lot of coffee shops galleries you know pool to walk-in and like it's just it's just different man
0: just, yeah that yeah I was when you mentioned that I was curious to dive into it because I can only imagine what eight years you you come out and you're like wait what what is this <laughs> like and just I, going from like flip phone to touchscreen that's wild but I know I, I Interrupts you right in the middle of your time management. I don't know if you wanted to finish up with anything on there, and and how you make sure you you spend time with your family during all the crazy things that you have going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, right now I live by my calendar. Like I, you know, I, I the calendar, Google Calendar is like what directs my life, and I think like yep. AI is going to be taking over and like <laughs> you know, puts yep. down there, and I'm just going to do it and run into a wall, you know. But like that's that's how I manage it, and I block off like time. You know, after like five or seven o'clock, depending on the day, because I'm sometimes I'm like teaching classes all the way to like seven thirty. But that, yeah, that's that's it. You know, and I I just don't don't do anything after like seven o'clock pretty much.
0: So nothing after seven o'clock that's like work related, that's spending time with the family. Is there like a day that you spend more time with your family that's like nine to seven? Like maybe it's like on Friday, half the day you spend with the family. Do you do something like that or do you just consistently keep it a seven?
1: Yeah, no, uh, weekends for sure. Like Saturday, okay. seven, like, uh, if if I could, I try to spend the time with my son uh, as much as possible. Um, uh, and my son is already grown, he's he's, he's gonna be 14 now. Like, it's it's crazy. Um, wild. But- yeah, as well, man. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, the weekends I try to keep it open. I, I do go to like my other trainers' classes uh, during the weekend. Make sure I work out. You know, bring my family. We've been doing a lot of outdoor workouts. Um, this pandemic has been a blessing for us because we've been able to like pivot, you know, easily to doing like uh, video workouts for us. So, you know, the virtual on-demand platform, doing live stream. Uh, we for us, it was so easy because we didn't use any equipment. it was all body weight, you know all, all these other yeah. gyms and fitness studios had like bikes, treadmills, weights, kettle belts, you know, so for them to like tell, you know, uh, a member of theirs uh, you know, pick up a, a gallon of milk and use it as a, a kettlebell was <laughs> not easy for them. But <laughs> for, for, for us, it was just like, yo, you got the same product from inside. Now you just stay home and just watch me through a video. And it's been like, we, more, we made more money in 2020 than 2019. It's I think,
0: I, I, I probably feel like there's a lot of people who can say that, right? When, I mean, at first it's like, what the heck is going on right you're in a pandemic and you're like i don't get it and then you obviously can make the pivots that you need to make to be successful and awesome that you made those pivots uh, we did the same thing from a sales training standpoint we did a lot of our stuff virtually when we used to go in person and at first we were like wait what do we do um even though we had done some remote training before it wasn't a consistent thing we did and now we've made we've we've done better now in a remote setting than going on site so it's really just taking advantage of the things that get thrown at you and figuring out how to move forward with it which a follow-up question on this on everything that we've talked about because a lot of this comes down to intrinsic motivation and i'm curious like where does that intrinsic motivation come from for you
1: i think i don't know i i act off uh like impulse and mm-hmm. uh uh, I see opportunities in split seconds, and just like, and just make make uh, decisions right away. Sometimes they're not good. Sometimes, they're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I saw. I, I think it comes from like you know seeing like my mom, uh, you know, come here and and hustle. She was uh, there was this company. It was like it was called Jafra. It was uh, like a lotion. It was like an Avon company. And I remember her just like you know, we'll be in the, in the train and she'll just be like squared in lotion on, on the person that was sitting next to him. <laughs> <And> <laughs> there like, hustle. To sale, you know, like <laughs> it was, and, and that, and I, I think we got it from her and this, this, I don't know, like my, my brother is, is successful. Like my, all my siblings are, you know, we've made it, um, you know, my brother's is going to become like, most likely gonna become city council of district one in New York city, most important uh, neighborhood in in Manhattan, like all downtown. Mm -hmm. Uh, My sister was the first Hispanic woman to reach executive director status at at Goldman Sachs uh, as a Hispanic woman, a person of color. And like my other sister's like head of an insurance company. So like we grew different, we grew up in different uh, environments too. Like they grew up in the Dominican Republic, but like Mm -hmm. we all got it from like, I don't know, that DNA from, I think, my mom, for sure.
0: I mean, it's always seeing the parent just getting after it. And it makes you want to get after it as well. I mean, that makes, that makes complete sense. And do you feel like that, her hustle, is that what helps you get good at sales too? Like you kind of saw her going out there with the lotion and it kind of translated the same thing for your sales skills?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think just uh, not, uh, not procrastinating. You know, mm-hmm. as I saw... And it was it was crazy because when the the neighborhood started getting gentrified, um, like everybody on. So back in the day, like the neighborhood, every corner was ran by a different drug dealer, you know, so like, yeah, I couldn't sell drugs on this corner because and that's how things ran. Um, But as the neighborhood started getting gentrified, like everybody on different blocks were like scared to go up to like white people. And, and mm-hmm. I used to go up to them and run and be like, Hey, what's up? And I used to see them, they used to walk around drunk and, you know, coming from like a yeah. ball club. And I used to just be like, yo, I got cocaine. What's up? You know, <laughs> and like, yo, this dude was wilding, yo. Like, and, uh, <laughs> and it worked, you know, it blew up. And, um, and then they, and I made like 10,000 business cards. I was started going up to like different professionals, you know, that were like getting high and drunk and clubs and all that stuff. And and uh, but everybody in my neighborhood thought I was crazy. And and when the neighborhood got really gentrified, they started making their own business cards and going up to white people and they were not scared. Because back in the day, we thought all the white people were cops, you know, we because that's, yeah. that's what we saw is like. You know, nah, yo, they're, they're they're, you know, the Ds, you know, the detectives, the undercovers, you know, that's an informant there, you know, so we were all skeptic, you know, to cross that line. For me, it was just like, oh, this person's rolling on the ground, twisted, you know, they just got high. I'm, I'm going to go sell to them, you know. So. <laughs> it's like, I got the
0: goods, so I might as well.
1: <laughs> and and have a markup, you know. Like, yeah. You guys selling like $20 bags, I got, I'm going to sell it to them for 50 bucks, you know, um, yeah, it's crazy. The profit margins were even wider with them. So, I'm—I
0: um, mean that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You found the target market. You knew how to sell them. You were—you were—you made the approach, and that comes down to confidence. And want to drill into that. Where does that confidence come from? And did that confidence go down when you went into jail? And then, how did you elevate that confidence if it did go down when you, when you got sent to jail?
1: So, I think the confidence came. Uh, I guess just like maybe as a kid just interacting with everybody in the neighborhood, you know, like uh, playing sports, you know, I got, you know, people talking shit in the basketball court. You will never find a place
0: where they talk trash more than basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Just like, you know, that's, that's like confidence always. If you grew up in the hood, you know, you always had to like talk down or, you know talk yourself up you know from each other and and i think that's where like you and just like listening to hip-hop too like your your mind is like you know indulging like you have to be you know money-making person and i guess your ego just is risen up but my confidence didn't go down in prison um i think it continued i, I was still doing negative stuff while i was in there you know even though i was working out um early on in my incarceration, I was still like telling people, you know, sell drugs here, sell drugs there, sneak me in stuff, you know, I was I had, like crazy, you know, telling my baby moms to bring in stuff on the cover, you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. it just, the, the hustle never stopped, you know, I, I always saw like an opportunity there, um, you know, to, to take advantage of whatever that circumstances were. And, um, yeah, I mean, I came home with the same mentality, you know, and even more inspired to do good. You know, um, I had like a spiritual awakening while I was in solitary confinement that like really uh, woke me up, you know, and I said I, I need to I need to, you know, get back to society, than hurt society. I felt I felt a lot of regret for all the things that I've done in the past, and I was just ready to, you know, come out with a force and, and do it. And and how did that
0: spiritual awakening happen? And, and how long was it into your sentence that, that it did happen?
1: Yeah, it was towards towards the end of my incarceration where um, I got into altercation with an officer. They 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 beat me down. Um, I ended up in 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 uh in the box in solitary, and uh, uh, I was just stripped everything. Everything was stripped away from me, and I was trying to. Um, I was about to come home in two months. And I remember like, you know, receiving a uh, paper pen and envelope from a, a, an officer. And, and I quickly wrote a letter to my family, letting them know I'm not coming home, you know, because this officer is, you know, doing this, but I, I might be able to beat this case if you get me a lawyer. And and I realized I had no, you know, stamp to send out this letter with. and. Uh, and I'm sitting in solitary for like three or four days. And, and my sister uh, finds out that I was in the box because uh, I was constantly calling home and my family didn't hear from me. And my sister's like super religious, Mother Teresa's child. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we said she's going to marry Jesus one day. <laughs> we joke about that, but she... um she reads the Bible every day and like, just like very spiritual. And, and I remember her writing me a letter telling me like, read Psalm 91 from the Bible. Um, and I, I was like, get the hell out. I don't need God. I don't need religion. Like I took that piece of paper, I threw it in the corner of my cell and I laid back on my bed. And I remember out of boredom, you know, all I had in my cell was the Bible because, uh, she gave me a Bible early on in my incarceration, and that's the only thing that follows you around throughout your whole incarceration is a Bible. Um, and I pick it up. I turn to Psalm ninety-one. That states, "He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will, will uh, he who sh- who he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the Almighty." I will say, to "The Lord, He is my shelter, and my fortress, my God, and who I trust." And I remember reading that. And in between the Psalm pages, there was a stamp that fell out of my Bible. Mm. And it was a stamp that I needed to send this letter to that I wrote out to my family, trying to get help throughout this whole situation. And I felt like that that little, whatever, 25 cent, 30 cent stamp, whatever it was worth back then, like just gave me hope, you know? And, and I, I was like, there's something bigger than myself. I don't know if who put the stamp in there. I don't know if it was there. You know, I just, it felt like I got chills for that second. And I read the Bible from front to back and started realizing, you know, I was really hurting people. You know, I was not only affecting my son, my family, but the the thousands of people I sold drugs to. And I was just creating this whole web of destruction, you know, and that's, Said I wanted to give back in some sort of way, and there's where combody came about in my head. And that 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 cell, I was just like, how can I get back? And I was like, I'm already helping the, the inmates in the yard work out. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. And I came home and and started doing it. And uh, and and that cell is where I wrote my my book. You know, with my whole work, workout routine, I wrote out my experience in that that cell. Um. And I, I came home a year later behind that situation and and uh and just started doing it. And, uh, and I did everything I wrote down, you know, and that's that there's where you know my change happened. Uh,
0: I got I got goosebumps over here, man. That's that story is very captivating and at the same time hopefully everyone, you know, listens to that again because there's a lot of just great points in there. And if that situation didn't happen, if you didn't get put in the box, you probably would have came out and not have started comedy Is what it sounds like. So the situation Absolutely. at that was was the best thing for you for your whole entire future. And, oh, and shout out to your sister for for sending you uh, that verse and and, and 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 giving you that perspective to really think. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I know we're, we're wrapping up here because we we got the back to backs. <laughs> we gotta we gotta be mindful of. But a couple last questions at that point when you were in the box and you were getting towards the end of your incarceration and then you were sitting there and you threw that bible verse in the corner was that the lowest point that you've ever been in your life
1: yeah i think so i think so i felt hopeless i felt like i didn't know what was going to happen to me um i was i was the the officer was basically stating that i was attempting to assault him you know, so I was facing another charge. I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen, you know. Um, so I felt, I felt down. I felt like I left, let my son down. You know, I, I told them I was coming home in two months and I didn't come home, you know. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a low point for sure.
0: I mean, hey, got out of it, right? Moved on, got where you needed to go. And as we wrap up this final Part of the interview, uh, the question we always ask people at the end is What is the number one piece of advice that you've gotten recently?
1: Mm. I, I don't think um, the number, like recently, but I, you know, though previously, like the best advice I got was just trust the process, you know, mm. really just trust the process and everything's going to work out. And, and I think that's when somebody, this guy named Charles Hulk, uh, when I came out of prison, said that you know, uh, to a group of us. And he was like, if you continue, you know, showing up and delivering and, and being consistent and trust the process that we're putting you through, you know, and this is part of the Defy program. Um, everything's going to work out no matter what, you know? And, and that's what I, I, that that's just been like my faith, you know, my inspiration quote, you know, to like, we just trust the process and trust the journey and, and no matter what, I was going to wake up and have family. I was going to have clothes. I was going to be able to eat. Even if I had to stand on a a food line, you know, like God is going to provide no matter what. And I'm going to just keep moving. And there's nothing, you know, from there, it's just I'm working myself up. You know, I'm, I'm already down. I'm going to be just crawling up little by little. And there's going to be times where I, there was times where, uh, you know, during the company where I lost all my money and, you know, mm. crazy, crazy. We, you know, that's a deeper story. But like, <laughs> that's yeah, a part two. We got to come back for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know how I was going to meet payroll, but I met it, you know, because I trust the process. And, you know, a miracle happened and somebody gave me a contract and I was flying somewhere and somebody gave me five G's, you know, to do something. And so it is what it is, you know, but yeah, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I love that you said that. You know, One of the things that I always tell people is that you have to be more emotional about the process than the outcomes. And the more you focus on how you're going to do the process and, and what can you learn through it to get the results you want, the better that'll be for you. So I'm glad you shared that. And the last question here is uh, where can people find you if they want to know more about your story, know more about Combody?
1: yeah so you can come check us out at ConBody. that's c-o-n as in nancy b-o-d-y dot com uh you can hit me up on instagram twitter uh we got all the platforms snapchat check out our tiktoks i'm doing a lot of goofy videos there <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean you know hit us up you could join our virtual on demand platform it's only 14 a month uh check out my book too on amazon right now um but yeah hit me up c-o-n-b-o-d-y Awesome. Well, well, Kasa, I appreciated this
0: interview with you. Thanks for sharing your insights and also sharing your story. And as I always say, y'all one up and we'll see y'all
1: next time. Thank you, Morgan.